At this time, those who are kindergarten and under may go to We Worship. I love that last song. It's so many um, truths that are in that. And uh, we were sharing with our preschoolers this past um, this past Wednesday in our chapel time that the word hallelujah is the one word that no matter what language uh, you're speaking, it's always hallelujah, uh, praise the Lord. It's, uh, and so it's a uh, no matter what language, in every tribe, every language, we're going to be bringing praises to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, I think uh, singing hallelujah is good practice for eternity, uh, for what we will be doing uh, there. Um, I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles today to the book of 2 Peter. Uh, we are following along our Bible reading plan for our church. Uh, and so this week we will finish up, or actually get into uh, 2 Peter, uh, chapters 2 and 3 this week. This last week was 1 Peter chapter 5 and 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, so we'll be looking at these next two chapters this week. And so uh, I want to kind of give you a preview and look especially at uh, chapter 3. Um, that, uh, well, it talks about the end. Uh, it's a nice follow-up to what we studied in Revelation. Um, and then next week, we'll be looking at the first Johns, first and second John, third John. Uh, and so if you haven't got one but would like to have our Bible reading plan, I think uh, you can access it through our website as well as you can pick up a bookmark that's on the table outside and uh, you can follow along. We don't have long left, um, just uh, till the end of this year. Uh, where we're going to be reading through these things, and so I encourage you uh, in this uh, to follow along. And so I'm going to ask that we uh, stand of, in honor of this being the Word of God, just recognizing that. If you just stand with me as, as we read it, and I'll read aloud to you, if you read silently, beginning in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come, and the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You may be seated. It's helpful, I hope you noticed that uh, first two verses that we read, and Paul, or Peter, gives the purpose statements of both First Peter and Second Peter. He says, I, I'm writing these things, to remind you of something. He said, in, in these books, he says, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm about to be cast off this tent, uh, which is his way of saying, I know execution's coming soon. And we know tradition tells us he was crucified um, by the Roman emperor and that he had requested uh, to be done so upside down uh, so that he would have a different fate than his Lord and Master Jesus Christ and did not see himself of that same honor. Uh, and so he reminds them of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, the prophecies of the end, and it reminds them how they should live in this regard. So we read 1 Peter 5, and we, we learned about what that means to humble ourselves under, under Christ and to know what that is like and realize that there is an adversary roaming about and so that we are quick to yield to Christ. And, and then we looked at this in 2 Peter chapter 1, um, as we saw the importance of the Word of God in our life. And so we come to what he calls the day of the Lord, the judgment day. Um, so I don't know if you've thought about what that means. The, the judgment day is also called the day of the Lord. When you say that something is the day of the Lord, then you're saying that Jesus takes center stage. That on that day, everything revolves around him, his person, his agenda. And so when we say judgment day, we can also say this is the day that Jesus is the center of everything in reality. We know that by the word of God, he is the center of everything, but it hasn't been actualized yet. Um, there are too many of us who do not see Jesus as the center of our own life and of the things around us. Um, so as I had shared last week, uh, we are in a wedding season um, in our church. And so uh, we've got uh, first one coming up, I think is Josh and Kylie. And then after that, Grant and Amy uh, will be coming up. And then sometime after that, uh, Molly and uh, Anthony and who knows anymore. Uh, between now and then. And so one of the things that I'm learning afresh um, 
is that on that day, that couple is the center of everything. (laughs) On that day. And then even more specifically, on that day, the bride is the center of everything. Right, men? Um, I've... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that didn't sound like a male voice, but, it's, but you know, I, I've heard women say, uh, in referring to future couples getting, uh, getting married, they, they'll say something, as soon as the guy understands that it's about what the women want, the happier the marriage will be. This is kind of like their statement that they'll put out there. Um, and so uh, I had a conversation with one of them. They said, well, you know, we're talking about the invitation list, who's coming, and uh, they made the statement, well, if I don't talk to them, I don't know why they need to be there. Um, <laughs> so didn't say it quite like that. Um, but the point of that being is, it's about them on that day. It's about the relationships. It's about bringing focus on that couple and then specifically that woman, the bride, right? So that is the day of... Josh and Kylie, the day of Amy and Grant, the day, the day of Molly and Anthony. But what we're seeing here is that the Lord will have his day. The day of the Lord. And everything is culminating, working toward this final day. So as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to first note the certainty of Jesus as the center of everything. That it is, according to scripture, a done deal. It will happen. There is a certainty that you can look toward. And so you see this specifically as we focus in in verse 7. We talk about the the ones who reject it in verses uh, 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. But then 7. But by the same word, the heavens that now exist are stirred up for, stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. He is referenced in the verses prior to this, the, the story of the flood, where God flooded the earth and saved Noah and his family. Uh, and then that this is a question and that is in people's mind, did this even happen? And God is saying, yes, it did happen. It's interesting to note, uh, when you go to various civilizations, when we were with the, the Yi minority people in East Asia, uh, that Yi people, we were looking at some of the statues and uh, things they have in the cities, re- referring to their, their legends, their, their own religions. And they said, here, this is one person that they say was a, uh, at that time that this person existed, that there was a flood over the world. They didn't know the New Testament. They didn't know the Old Testament, the Bible, but yet they have that in their tradition. It's interesting how many cultures do have this universal flood in their cultural history. And what God is saying is, remember that, remember that. Second Peter brings this out. God's done it once. There is going to be another time when he sorts out this earth so that it focuses around him, the center of it all. And so he says, 
But note that there is a patience with the Lord. It says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so when we see the center of Jesus happening, the certainty of that, it lets us know that yes, we long for God to turn the world right side up, but we have to understand that with it is going to come judgment. With it will come destruction. It is something that yes, we long for, but yet we mourn for at the same time. And the attitude of God and the attitude of Jesus himself is one of, I long for repentance. That this certainty of Jesus coming and becoming the center of everything not only is going to be a time of judgment and destruction, but it's also a time where we're waiting on repentance. We're waiting on repentance. Notice that. Verse 9. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. Why has it been over 2,000 years since the Lord's first return? There have been cataclysmic events, tragedies, world horrors in those 2,000 years. In fact, just in the 1900s alone, it's been called some of the most destructive times uh, in history where people were killed. Christians were slaughtered more in the 1900s than any other time. And we've just begun in the 2000s, and it seems the promise that more is to happen. Why? In the Holocaust, why? The atomic bomb, why? And the various mass executions that we've seen, why? 17 Believers get kidnapped in Haiti. Why the waiting? You've been there? There's been times in my life I'm thinking, God, seems like a great time to come back. Why the wait? The simple answer is that God is waiting for people to repent. He's waiting for the return of you himself it's interesting when you look at the old testament history and you look at enoch who was a man that followed after god unique and in it he had a son according to bible history named methuselah the name seems interesting methuselah but one of the possible meanings of the word methuselah is when he dies it will come when he dies, it will come. And if you follow the biblical history and look at it, when he dies is the same time as the flood. What's interesting about Methuselah? What do you know the name of Methuselah for? Old as Methuselah? You know, according to biblical history, is the oldest man. 900 plus. It's pretty old. But what if the oldest man that ever lived was done so as a sign, as a symbol to reflect the patience of God for the first destruction of Noah, of, of the world that Noah was living in. All that to say is 
that was over about a thousand years. We've gone 2,000 years. It is to show us God's willingness, his patience, longing for you to come to him. And so it is a day of destruction, a day of judgment. It is also a time when we're waiting on repentance. God can do in one day what would take a thousand years for us to even imagine happening. Just know that. One day, God can do more than what it would take us a thousand years to do. The effectiveness of God. He is not concerned about how much time has passed. When you're eternal, you can do that. And so then we keep on reading verse 10. Not only is it a day of destruction, not only are we waiting on repentance, but in verse 10, it is a sudden day. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Notice that, exposed. It is going to be a sudden time. Um, it's interesting, I, growing up, uh, when I did, uh, we were taught about uh, the greenhouse effect and the global warming that would happen even as I was in school. And you, you go to places like Alaska and you go to uh, where the glaciers are and, and you can see, well, something's happening. Well, the glacier once was here, now it's over there in the last year to 5, 10, 15 years. And you, you see the effects of these and, and with it was the, uh, the, uh, the threat of waters rising. And I remember studying in school, and I was like, well, if the waters rise, all the seaport cities, which most of the populations in America and other places are on the seaport areas, that, I mean, we're looking at cataclysmic events that's gradually going to happen, and storms increase, and hurricanes, and things like that, and you see the intensity of it, and maybe we are in the midst of it, and, and it seems to be a gradual thing, but understand, though that may be the case, what the Bible teaches is that there's going to be a sudden event. A sudden event where you wake up that day and you think, I did not imagine any of this thing is happening. And that's the, the nature of when God comes, that when he works, you see it in history, that there have been warnings after warnings after warnings. But when he acts, he does so within a day and everything changes. Everything changes. And so he is letting us know uh, God is working through Peter, revealing these things. He said the prophets talked about it from a long time ago, and it's a more sure word than even the experiences I had with Jesus. And so, too, I would remind you of what's here in scriptures. It is not a secret that God is working in history to bring things so it's revolving all around himself, the certainty of it. And it will be a time, according to verse 10, where works are that are done on it will be exposed. What's going to be exposed? That it's not presently based on Jesus Christ. That our lives, our motives, are not centered on Jesus Christ. That the government institutions have rejected Jesus Christ long ago. That the world and how we think is anti-Christ and these things will be exposed. He said it's going to be a certain time, it's going to be a sudden time, but yet there is waiting on repentance until that time comes. Now, that being said... Let's go back to the first of this chapter, 
there's the certainty of Jesus as the center of everything, but what we live in now is the rejection of Jesus as the center of everything. The rejection of Jesus as the center of everything. Verse 3. What's going to happen before the Lord comes back? Well, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Why are they rejecting Jesus as the center of everything? Simply because he gets in the way of their sinful desires, of what we want to do. And so when authority comes in and says life revolves around me and this is my path, this is my way, we reject it because it's not our way. Y'all remember that cursed game called Monopoly? Some poor person still playing it right now. Because the game never ends. I hated the game. My sister loved it. And she was the only person I could play with. So every once in a while she would try to bargain me into playing this game. Like, all right. And she was always wheeling and dealing. And you're gonna buy every property. And, and and me at that time, I was the cheap scale. Like, I don't I don't want to spend my money. So I didn't spend my money. My sister did. And so I'd land on her properties that she has hotels on and tell me how much money I owe. I was like, this is a terrible game. I mean, wh- why do you want to play a game where I'm in debt every move I make? So I'm shelling out money, shelling out money. And after a while, at some point, it's like, I don't have any more money. She was like, well, you can always mortgage stuff. Like, I, I, you know, and then she's like trying to make some deals. And, and she would just infuriate me. And, then, and I'm just in a, an angry state. And, and so I would just take that and whoosh, flip it up. All the pieces are flying. It's like, hope it's all lost, and I run out of our playroom. Just terrible game. We see. Th- the thing is, the problem was is that she was manipulating the game according to her agenda, and it wasn't mine. And I would get angry. Here we are, and we read things in the scripture like, "This is what marriage is about." This is what your work is about. This is how to have peace. These are the steps of joy. and involves Jesus first and laying down your life, taking up your cross and following after him. And then it tells us things like we need to be forgiven. And it calls us sinners that we've rejected God and, and so our own pride is insulted. And for us to follow this path of Jesus means that we have to first acknowledge that we are not worth being the center of everything. We hate it. Every move we make, it seems like Jesus has something to to trump our will and to cross our desires. And so at some point, we take the board and flip it up and say, I don't want any part of it. Lord, coming back, my foot. I'm going to live for here and now. Knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of the creation. They'll say things, do you not know that people have ever since Jesus has come have always said that they lived in the last days? Augustine, when he wrote the book, City of God, was saying the Roman Empire was coming to a conclusion that had been in existence for hundreds of years. And he's writing about the city of God and said, we live in another kingdom and these are the last days. And that was like 400 something. 
every generation has said these are the last days. Why, Christian, are you so up in arms about it now? Lord's not coming back. Stop living for these pipe dreams. I'm living for the here and now, something I can see. Where's the promise of his coming? For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water or through water by the word of God. They deliberately overlooked the fact that God has always worked through his word. It's not that they can't believe, they don't want to believe. But by that same word that's been rejected, how do we know the scoffers? What, what's one of the evidences, the characteristic of scoffers? They reject God's word. Now, none of us want to walk away from here saying, sign me up on the scoffing camp. Let me be there. But though you may not intentionally say that, because we do not consider the word of God in our life, the effect is the same. This is why we looked last week, the value of God's word in our life. Okay? The difference between being fruitful with Christ is the word of God in our life living in us through the Holy Spirit. It is his method through which he works through us. So we, as a church, say let's have a Bible reading plan so we all read the Bible so that we are all reading the Bible because it's a good thing through which God can work. And as this year comes, it's more important than last year. And guess what? Next year will be even more important to have the Word of God in our life as we grow closer and closer to the day of the Lord. All right? Which takes us to the third observation about this text. Look at not just the rejection of Jesus Christ as the center of everything, but look at, the, what does that mean? The implication of Jesus being the center of everything. If Jesus will one day be the center of everything, then how much more should Jesus be the center of my life, my thinking, my motives, my priorities, my hobbies, my relationships, to know that in my future that I simply belong to Jesus as we have sung, as our only hope in life and death, that we belong to him. He is the center of everything, the center of who we are. And so we prepare for that day by making sure that Jesus is the center of our life. So, we read verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, in other words, why live for that boat that will be dissolved? Why live for that house that will be dissolved? Why live for that job that will be no more? These things are not lasting. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Well, verse 12 we are the people that are waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do we hasten the coming of the day of God? Remember Jesus, how he taught us to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Jesus taught us to pray. God's kingdom come. Hasten. Speed up. We long to see your return where you center the world on everything. How does that happen? Well, the same way that Jesus prayed. Thy will be done in my life. 
You notice verse 9. What is Jesus waiting on? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How do we hasten the day of the Lord? Verse 9 says we experience repentance where we turn from our sin and ourself and we turn to Jesus. And to say, Jesus, you are worth it all. And as we repent in our life and help others do the same, we're hastening the day of the Lord. We read in the book of Revelation that one of the things that Jesus is waiting for is the last blood to be shed from his followers. (laughs) How do you speed up the day of the Lord? You take the cross, lay down your life, and you follow after Jesus. And Jesus is watching. And so we align ourselves for what will come. So wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And so even, you see the moon is gorgeous this week. Sunrise was beautiful this week. Like the shadows. They won't be there forever. They show us beauty. They show us light. They point to the real light, the glory of God. One day these things will dissolve, but it's okay. It's okay because they'll be replaced by something better. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what does this mean to live lives of holiness and godliness? I think we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, tells you a little bit of what that means. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, you would have just read that this past week. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness godliness again this is where the sense of community comes in with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing that keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins how do we grow and godliness and holiness being spotless. It is to understand, never forget how God has saved us. The gospel, how God longs for us, wants us, desires us, and wants to forgive us through the cross. We never forget the cross. That's why Jesus said, hey, when you gather together, eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I have done because it is in the forgetting of what he has done that we go astray from his life. And so with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not forgetting what he's done, then we add to it virtue and discipline and godliness and love and uh, affection and kindness toward one another. And so this is how we grow, not away from Christ, but growing with Christ as a sinner in holiness and godliness. So therefore, Beloved, since you are waiting for these things, verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, how does that happen? By being in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Colossians 1, verse 17 and 18 
says, referring to Christ, see, in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I shared this verse um, two Fridays ago, uh, part of this verse, and it was a faith in blue service. We had some of the police, a few of the police that were there, and some of the community leaders that were there, and, and uh, Chief Caps was um, called it together, and um, he gave a great message for them, and at the end, he asked me to do closing remarks and prayer, and I read this verse. And said, do you understand, police officers, security of Nightdale, that your authority has come from Christ. And it's for Christ. And it's held together by Christ. Police officers of Nightdale, you are a shadow of Christ in our community. Know that. Represent. Be an ambassador. Not just of Nightdale, but of Christ. Because the whole reason Nightdale exists is because of Christ. The whole reason Raleigh, North Carolina, United States, and the world's population of the governments exist because of Christ, and we are but shadows. And one day, you will be pointed to Christ. And then just within a week's time, one of the young men, as we saw last Sunday, passed away, 23. Thankfully, he knew about Christ. And he followed Christ. That's part of the reason why he was in the police force. 23. Served on the police force three months. Is that a waste of life? No. He and his life lived as a shadow that pointed to Christ. And that is an eternal value. You don't have to be 90. You can be 23. If your life is submitted to Christ. Okay, well, 23, that's not long. Don't forget, one day is a thousand years to Christ. And a thousand years is one day. When you submit your life to Christ, and make him the center of everything. He can take the impact of your life and multiply it times however way he wants. You see, we're all playing Monopoly. And we think it's about our ambitions, about our pursuits. And we're manipulating people around us, the circumstances around us, so it fits into our favor. But rest assured, Jesus is on the board. He's a part of the game. And it will result with him taking the board and turning it upside down and saying, this has been a world of unrighteousness. And now I'm going to make a new place where righteousness dwells. Those who make peace. 
How do we become people who make peace? Jesus told us in Matthew 5 that to be a peacemaker means that first we come broken. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we are poor in spirit, then we'll say, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, we don't do it our way. We do it by the way of Christ. We submit to him, and with him comes a hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we see the progression that ends with them being peacemakers again. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is saying to each one of us, Beloved, I'm stirring you up. And your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What will you do on the day when you find it is your last day? You go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, ride a bull for 2.7s, Fu Manchu. No, but maybe love deeper. Maybe forgive the forgiveness that you've been denying. Yeah, read the good book. But look, center your life on Jesus Christ. You never know when the time comes. Make sure when the time comes that all you have to do is die because everything has already been centered on Christ. Let's pray. Father, I share this word as a dying man to dying people. And yet somehow we live in delusion that we're not dying. We're always shocked when someone else dies. God, what lies we tell ourselves, how we deceive ourselves. How much more will we do the same in regards to the whole world? Every once in a while, Lord, you allow earthquakes to remind us that the very ground that we stand on is not stable apart from you. So, Lord, strip our thinking of delusions and lies we tell ourselves. Lord, that we submit ourselves to you now. We humble ourselves to you now so that we do not have to be humbled by you because we regard you for who you are as the God of everything, the creator of everyone and everything, and that apart from you there is nothing exists that would exist, and that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you hold everything together and it's from him and it's for him, including our very lives. And so, Lord, our only hope when it's all said and done is that we are not our own but belong to you body and soul and life and death and lord i pray that you would strip us away from our self-righteousness thinking that we've got it together that instead that we see ourselves as those who are bankrupt in spirit before you and there's nothing within us that that merits your favor but that even still you loved us because of who you are you desired us lord even in our sinful rebellious state you wanted us father that we would come to you for such love as this. That we 
should be called the sons of God, Lord, that with this, that those who have this hope within them, Lord, would purify themselves just as you are pure, that we would set ourselves, our, our lives through center on you. And Lord, we know one day this world and its wickedness and its unrighteousness and its favoritism and its evil will be turned finally right side up. But we see from your word that when that happens, it will not happen apart from also destruction. But Lord, our hope is in what replaces it. A new heaven, a new earth, where you hold reign. So Lord, may your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because you are holy and worthy of being hallowed. And so, Lord, we lean on you for our daily bread. And we need you to forgive us our debts as you teach us to forgive those who sin against us, Lord. And, Lord, lead us not into temptation of living for false, temporary things that rebel against you, but deliver us from evil, because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand and sing simply, Lord, I need you.